to another evening as always i'm danny um and i really need to think of a new way to open this up because we're nearing 100 episodes and i feel like i repeat myself every single time um but yes i'm danny i'm also known as blotted ink books over on instagram and very rarely tiktok very rarely uh, and this is the podcast where I chat with fellow book lovers, authors, book bloggers. If you're into books, you're welcome on here. And I ask them to basically divulge their ideal fantasy fictional night. Um, and I'm super, super excited because I've just finished The Last Tale of the Flower Bride. And let me tell you, this book, oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's gothic, it's sumptuous, it's mysterious. Um, it gives me kind of Rebecca vibes with a hint of fairy tale. I mean, the proof is gorgeous. I was very lucky to get a proof. The finished copies are even more ridiculous, like unreal. And the book itself is absolutely stunning. And I am going to be joined by the author, Rashni Chakshi, who is coming on here. Oh, I've got so many questions for her. I literally cannot wait. Um, this book is going to explode. Um, and I'm pretty sure she's going to bring something a bit mysterious to her novel evening. So let's check it out. So a massive hello to Rashni. Hello. Hello. What are you doing? I am. I'm drinking a very awful looking and tasting tea. But uh, that's pretty much all I'm doing right now. I was going to say, I'm it looks like it's good for you. You know? It looks like it's good for me. I, I I opine that it looks like a cup of urine. Um, I guess there are. I didn't want to be rude. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, oh, but yeah, it just it, you know when you always think mm, that's got to be really good for you because it doesn't look tasty at all. Right. I know it's some sort of turmeric ginger concoction. <laughs> I just uh -huh. get lured in by packaging is really my problem in life. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, the aesthetics of this marketing are so satisfying. I can just feel good karma flowing back into my body if I drink this. Yeah. Um, my friend yeah. swears by turmeric as well. And she was like, put turmeric and ginger and lemon into a glass. And then I got carried away and was like, I'm going to add apple cider vinegar to this because that's good for you as well. And it was so bad. I made myself drink the whole thing. God. It was bad. It was bad. But you know, when you're like, that's good for you. We'll just stick some of that in there and drink it. But yeah, <laughs> if it looks gross, it's probably really good for you. And if it looks delicious, it's probably awful for you, right? <laughs> Very true. Very I true. think that's the metaphor for life, really. But thank you so much for taking some time to come and chat to me. Um, it's obviously afternoon for you where you are and it's late at night here. But thank you very much for taking some time to come and chat to me all about your new book. Oh yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I have to say, so firstly, I mean, the proofs are outrageous. Like they're so pretty. <laughs> they did a wonderful job. They really they did gorgeous? a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the finished ones as well, I've also seen. And usually when I have a proof, I'm like, I don't really need the finished one as well, but I definitely need the finished copy of The Last Tale of the Flower Bride because what did you think when you opened, like when you saw that? Oh, uh, you know what I, how I felt about both the UK and the US cover was that they had just completely understood the story that the, you know, with the US cover, we have this enigmatic woman's face on it. She's her hair is covering her face. There's bird bones and strange petals strewn into her strands. And in the UK cover, it's, it's, um, 
it's a one big, gorgeous and opulent puzzle of faces tucked into things. It's dark, it's gothic, it's sexy. It's just, it's, oh, I was so, so pleased without all of it. Oh, it is stunning. And am I right in saying this is your first adult novel, right? This is your first. It is. And it is, it is an adult novel. <laughs> <laughs> certainly So people have kind of read your previous books and are expecting similar, you know, this is an adult story, right? Right. And how did it feel to branch out from writing what you were writing previously and going, cause you've gone dark as well. I, I did go dark. I, you know, it was, it was as if something is just knocking repeatedly on the trap door of your subconscious and you've ignored it for 30 plus years. And then finally you're like, I guess I could let you out. And it's like, ha ha. And then just sort of tears through everything. Um, but you know, the, the experience in many ways, it's not dissimilar from writing children's literature, right? I think that no matter what story you are writing or reading and who its intended audience is for, a story lives or dies on its ability to make you feel something. And so that is still from a craft, from a craft perspective, the thing that I'm most concerned with. Um, but the decision to write in an adult space was really interesting to me because, you know, I've, I've loved children's literature. I'm never going to leave it, but you are constrained by time with children's literature. You can only follow, for example, you can, you can only follow uh, Percy Jackson up to a certain age. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you only get to see him when he's on the cusp of adolescence or, or adulthood. And you feel proud because you've watched him go through all these moments of coming of age and struggling to define himself and all sorts of things. And then once he's gathered all these first lessons, we leave him alone and it's up to him now. Um, and it's the same thing with Harry Potter. We don't know the moments in between him, you know, defeating Voldemort and then him being a, a balding horror on a train station. Uh, we, we don't know what any of that looked like. And we don't get to know. And that's both the beauty and the magic of children's literature. But for adult books, the idea of shifting the lens of not being able to see someone during their coming of age moments, only looking at the consequence of all the things that have happened to them in the past is a completely different kind of reckoning for a character. Um, and it was what the story demanded. You know, I can't talk about, um, it would have been odd to talk about marriage from the perspective of someone who's 14. <laughs> so yep. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it, the most interesting choice that you made is, and it, for me, it gave me real Rebecca vibes because oh. the characters is unnamed. You have your, your mysterious bridegroom. And immediately I was like, the new Mrs. De Winter, right? <laughs> yes. Straight away, that was immediately, I was like, ooh, this gives me Rebecca vibes. I love uh, Rebecca, so this is a huge compliment to me. I completely saw that, like from the get-go. Was that always your intention, that this bridegroom was never gonna have a name? Completely, yeah, he was wow. never going to have a name. Um, you know, I was thinking a lot about fairy tale motifs when making that decision, especially because one of the stories that inspired me the most in the structure and also in this relationship between two people is the story of Bluebeard, which is, um, if readers or listeners aren't familiar with it, Bluebeard is the tale of this serial killer husband who has just like multiple dead wives hanging out in his chambers 
And he kills them one after the other when they don't listen to him and look inside a door, inside a hallway where he has forbidden them from doing so. Um, and we see versions of this where it doesn't have gruesome endings. Beauty and the Beast, for example, quite similar, you know. Um, don't go into the West Wing, blah, blah, blah. What happens? Where Bluebeard really stands out to me is that it is only the name of the villain that survives. All these wives, we have no idea what their names are. And yes, he gets his comeuppance in the end. And yes, there's the happy ending for the final wife who escapes his murderous rage. But we don't get to know her name. And I don't know why that is. Um, so in wanting to flip the script, uh, I decided to make Indigo the Bluebeard character and to make her husband nameless. I think that's so fascinating. And what I love as well is, you know, like it's that twist. You've got this female character, you've got Indigo, who is so enigmatic and mysterious, but you know there's a darkness to her, right? As soon as you meet her. And what I loved is you didn't shy away from that. I think sometimes if you've got a, a darker female character, there's a tendency to kind of make her maternal or give her a softer edge. And I love the fact you don't really get that with Indigo. She's like, <laughs> this is what I am. What like, you see is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And I just love the fact that she is dangerous, right? You've written a dangerous female character. I don't want to give anything away because the story is so good and people have to experience it. But yeah, where did Indigo come from in your head? Gosh, where did Indigo come from? Well, you know, Indigo and Azura, their names are nods to Bluebeard, right? Um, but I think, truthfully, those characters are the best and worst parts of my adolescent self refracted. Wow. They really are. Um, there's a lot about that story that is about the reconciliation of inner demons and inner monsters. And as someone who's spent so much time writing young adult fiction and children's literature, we don't get to talk enough about monstrous young women. You know, we're, we're, we're told that, yes, we can um, embrace all, all manifestations and articulations of femininity, right? You can be soft and maternal and beautiful and know how to wield a weapon and know how to be really good at makeup. There's a thousand ways to be strong. Um, but when I think about what I was really like at that age, running feral with my friends, having absolutely no moral compass, you know, like there's just nothing. We, me and my best girlfriends, we ran around like in a pack. Oh we, yeah. Yeah. You know, indistinguishable from one another, um, tried on one another's skins the way that someone would shrug on a, like an animal's pelt. Nothing is more startling, vulnerable, invulnerable, powerful, magical, frightening, and tragic to me than a teenage girl. And oh, you, honestly, like, again, I was feral as a teenager. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I knew it all. I thought I knew best. I was unafraid of anything. I had no concept of fear. Yeah, no concept. No, no one has, and this is the saddest thing. No one has sunk their teeth into us yet. That's like what yes. that it's ages. It's so magical. Like you don't, you haven't really had time to consider, am I beautiful or am I not? You're just running yeah. wild with your friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think what I love is you've interspersed that kind of the magic that teenage girls have with these fairy tales. And that was so interesting to me because it really is, you're on that cusp, right? As a young girl, you're on the cusp of kind of 
still believing in fairies and still believing in true love and magic, but you're on mm-hmm. the cusp of something darker, becoming a woman, right? right. This terrifying time when your body changes and maybe you become yeah. aware of your effect on, you know, men and women and oh, yeah. you're still a girl in some ways. And you really captured that. I'm I'm very glad to hear you say that. I mean, there's, I think there's so much disturbing pressure on young girls, right? Like, let's say that a, a man is looking at you oddly and the response is that, well, you shouldn't have been wearing that. Well, mm-hmm. What do you mean? Like, what, how, what are you talking about? How could you know better? Um, I'm really, really fascinated with this idea that once we age out of childhood, fairyland is closed to us for the rest of our lives that we have traded in our innocence. It's something that, you know, the characters Indigo and Azura are really obsessed with Susan Pivensi from Chronicles of Narnia. And to me, it's it's the same thing. Why was Susan not allowed back into Narnia? Because she liked lipstick? Is that is that the trade-off there? Was, was it vanity? Was it because she preferred sex? Like, what was it? Um, but all of those, I think that's where indigo really came from this sort of defiance of wanting to stay in a world where fairyland will still accept you and indigo came from the desire and also just the the permission to to grow up you get you can be both it's okay there's no right answer (laughs) yeah and the girl's relationship you know you have two very different young women who are also so alike and that's the other thing i think you captured about being a teenager right is there's almost this fear of being yourself. You have your friends. And like you said, you wear each other's skins. You become so entrenched in each other. It's almost a betrayal, right? When you realize, oh, actually, I like a different kind of music. So right. I, yeah, actually, I, I thought that movie was kind of shit. And everyone else loves it. There's this <laughs> like, horror, though, of anything. I mean, I remember, like, I had a boyfriend. And I remember, oh, I loved him so much. But then my female friends were like, oh like you're going and immediately I was like oh no like that sets me apart now yeah you know that makes me different and that's what I love in this story is Azura is really trying to find her place right she's really lost and she finds indigo and that's like love they they are in love love in a completely pure sense Mm -hmm. but when there's a sign that maybe she isn't identical to her that's where they're tested right yes yeah it's so interesting Oh, I'm, I'm glad you found it interesting. I mean, to me, like their relationship, it just represents the, the tension of um, growing up and not wanting to grow up. And I can't imagine anything more horrifying and magical than being forced out of childhood and, and into adulthood. And the, the truth is that your body makes that decision for you. Yeah. You don't even get to say, I'd like to stay in fairyland another day. It's like, well, you can't come back anymore. Yeah. And I have always had a real obsession with fairies, with folklore, And, you know, in this, these girls, it's real for them, right? Like, this is, and I found myself blurred. There were times when I was like, wait, is the magic real as I'm reading it? Am I, you know, is this actually happening? Have I kind of misread it? Was that kind of your intention for it to feel real and for the reader to question whether or not the magic is happening? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And, you know, the fear is always that a reader will pick it up and be disappointed that it's not a fantasy romance, right? I think it is, however, firmly, firmly in the speculative genre. Oh, I, it, I, I think I've described it as my most magical book that doesn't have a drop of magic in it. Um, and that's how I intended it to be. It's To me, it was the sense of when we think of fairy tales, they are true, but they are not real. And yeah. 
and that's okay. Yeah, I, I absolutely felt that, you know, for me, I gave it five stars. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I have like, even like, yeah. everyone needs to read this. It's so good. But that's what it is. You capture the magic of the imagination rather than kind of, you know, the magic we imagine in fantasy where it's brought to real life. But it really is just the magic of a young imagination, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what can create. And I think that is so, you know, I have a daughter. She's six. She's so imaginative. It kind of blows my mind. And I look at these worlds that she creates just by, you know, being outside or just in her bedroom. And mm. I love that these girls have kept that. Yeah. Albeit quite strongly, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe a little far, but I really, I really enjoyed it. It's got a real gothic edge. I say definitely got some Rebecca vibes in there. Uh, kind of the night circus as well. You've kind of got that magical realism. It was fantastic. And I have to ask, you know, it, you've said that you're writing a second adult novel, right, as well. Are you also writing children's fiction alongside? Are you kind of focusing on the adult side? What's kind of next for you? Oh, well, you know, as they say, we all contain multitudes and mine are constantly warring with one another. So <laughs> um, I do, my next middle grade release is called The Spirit Glass and it mm -hmm. comes out in September with Disney and Rick Riordan Presents. Um, I love that book. It's a ghost story in many ways. Uh, it's an homage to my mother's Filipino heritage. Uh, there's another story that I've been working on that uh, truly started off as a joke. And it, it <laughs> I, one of my friends once on panel, Renee Atier, who's incredible. She's the author of The Wrath and the Dawn. And she's like my big sister. We were once at a festival panel where the authors were asked to share their worst book idea. And she shared an idea that I had said last week uh, when we had all been partaking in some whiskey. And I don't know where, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I was just like, I was going on and on about like, why is Santa Claus all alone in the North Pole? What if he did something wrong? What if the red coat was like a sign of penance and he was actually this warlord and maybe he actually looked like Henry Cavill? <laughs> she was just like, please don't tell me that what is pre- thoughts is a hot Santa Claus origin story. And I was like, no, maybe why? And so in front of all these people, that is the, that is the idea she shared. She's like, well, I don't have a worst idea. Let me tell you what Roshni's worst idea. And oh, um, he stitched you up. She was just sitting next to her. I was like, Renee, I can feel the bus wheels go running over my neck that you threw me on. You're like, <laughs> and also, as you're telling this, I was like, that's ridiculous. And then I think I pictured hot Santa and I was like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. film with it's David Harbour and I was like, Santa. Oh, right, yeah. Right? It's not, it's not all bad. And unfortunately, I feel as though I've staked my honor on it. And so I really think that in amidst the gothic the literary the exploration oh. of grief and ghost stories one must have room for hot santa <laughs> so have you told your your editor about this have you kind of discussed this <laughs> is this going to come out and they're going to hear this and be like oh hot santa are we ready to market that <laughs> nobody is getting what they wanted <laughs> i'll just put it that way <laughs> but the important thing is that i am getting what i need and and that's i feel the um you know the burden of art you know yeah you i'm like it's in the children's book oh we go no this is yeah. adult right uh, yeah i mean the funny thing is something that started off as a joke ended up 
<laughs> becoming a meditation on dreams and hope. And I don't know what I've done. I've lost my mind. Is this um, the second adult book that was meant? No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> Can like, you imagine going from <laughs> that to no, no, goodness. Um, no, the, I'm intrigued the second... though. I'm going to buy it. Like when this comes out, I'm pre-ordering it. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. No, the second adult book, you know, that's another thing that requires a trapdoor being opened, which is so rude. I mean, the experience of writing Last Hill, The Flower Bride was deeply cathartic and ruined me. The, I, I think it was like catatonic for a month and I was like, God, and then I felt much better. Um, so I know that the the next one, uh, the next Gothic tale, it unfortunately necessitates the uh, same thing. <laughs> oh bless you you're gonna need to dig deep i mean this has been a wild ride as well i definitely didn't see hot santa making an appearance i'm gonna lie to you i'm living for it. even if i'm the only person who buys this book it's i'll buy it for everybody i know for christmas like there's a market <laughs> for sure but, but now you know, when we come to your novel evening i i have big expectations now because oh god you, no I'm, I'm gonna be so hot <laughs> I'm like, okay, we we could be friends in real life because there's <laughs> definitely, you know, just saying. Everyone, like all the memes that come out of Christmas about like, you know. There's so much. But you know, just the the way that we think creatively, it exists on a spectrum of something that can be extremely deep, childhood. Let me think about the magic of imagination. And it can also just take us frankly down um Darker, darker roots yeah darker roots I have described myself on at times as a sentient trash can I read everything I can get my hands on but you know my, my kindle is filthy like just everything in it is fairly filthy and I'm you know what that. I'm a big fan it's taken me a while I don't really read romance but mm. I'm gonna fully blame Sarah J Mass for oh, I love romance. Oh, I love I'm looking at that I was like oh, it's wonderful you know I think nothing teaches you how to be a good writer like reading romance that is, I stand by that. For that, that is my hill to die on. Romance is phenomenal. Um, is what it really is, and I'm I'm paraphrasing from the only craft book I recommend to people. I mean, I know that there's wonderful things out there, but the craft book called Romancing the Beat by Gwen Hayes is this breakdown of the romance structure or the structure of a romance novel. And the way that she talks about it is that it's the movement of a character going from half-hearted to whole-hearted. And it reframes everything about why romance is so deeply appealing to us. You know, even Flower Bride, I think, is a romance. It's a yeah. movement of someone half-hearted to whole-hearted. It's about the transformation of love. It's um, it's it's like when we when we read monstrous love stories, what we're really asking for is permission to be loved even at our worst. Yes. Uh, and so I that's why I think romance is absolutely just the best. Do you know what? I am starting, I'm starting to have my head turned. Uh, I have lots of friends who are deeply into romance and I've always come in like oh, I don't really read it and now I'm like I think I'm gonna start reading it I've hit my yeah. first I'm gonna start reading some romance I'm gonna start you read know all. all the books yeah, read all the stories have have meaning <laughs> you're like so please buy my hot Santa book when please it comes buy out. my hot Santa book that nobody wants <laughs> I, I want it don't you don't speak for me I'm I'm here I'll die on that hill <laughs> for sure okay so as I say, I now have high hopes for you because I feel like, again, you've just said you read everything. So I feel like we're going to have a very diverse novel evening. <laughs> I hope. I think. I hope to. We'll find so. out. So where we usually go to start with is where are you going to take us for this evening? Where's our setting going to be? 
Okay, so I had two thoughts on this. One is that could it be, I wasn't sure if it had to be a real place or if it needed to be a fictional place. Anything goes. I'm very, probably slack is probably the word. I'm like, yeah, whatever you yeah. want goes. I mean, it's pro- if it, even if it's, you know, real, it's probably been in a book, right? Yes. I really would like to take people to the ruins of Atlantis. Ooh, I like that. I mean, breathing aside, this is a magic evening, so we can all breathe down there, uh, I assume. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? It would be great. There's not, nothing sparks those conversations, like asking yourself, what if these, if this building could talk, if these stones could speak, what would they say? You know? Yeah. I love that. And that, that for me is why I just love, you know, historical buildings as well. I love to just be able to walk around places and be like, who's walked here? How many yeah. people have walked here? You it's, know, yeah. it's amazing. It's totally random. But one of my absolute favorite books is by James Crawford and it's called Fallen Glory. And it's a history of um, the world's greatest buildings, even the ones that are no longer there. So he starts the Tower of Babel or Babel. I don't know how to say it whatever anyway starts with that. Babel. i feel like Babel uh, doesn't feel right does it doesn't work right the tower, tower of babel and the you know the stepped pyramids and the ziggurats he goes to the walled city of kowloon it is extraordinary i, I very much recommend that book. okay well that's going straight that's two books now that you've put onto my list straight away and i love that and i was talking to i interviewed laura purcell a while ago and we were talking about objects as well like if you pick up an object how many yeah. stories can it tell you? Like how many yeah. people held it and looked at it and carried it around? Yeah. And imagine Atlantis, what you're going to find. I know. Okay, good choice. And actually, I think you're the first person to say Atlantis. Oh, good. I'm glad. Which, <laughs> you know, we're almost in 100 episodes. I'm pretty impressed by that. So, okay, Atlantis, we're going to be in the ruins. Who's the first person you're going to welcome to this gathering? first person I'm welcoming to this gathering is Enheduanna, as she was said to be the very first novelist, the first person that we know who was a, was a writer. She was the daughter of um, Sargon the Great. And I think she lived, I want to say, fifth century, no, far before that. She, God, when was she? 4,000 BCE or something wow. like that, I want to say. She she was a poet and some of her writing is still preserved. She wrote an exaltation hymns to the goddess Inanna and, um, and we don't know much about her, but a lot of the scholarship around was she the first writer um, is very interesting to me because most people don't, don't want to think that that was, that was her. They never want to give that sort of honor or title to a woman. Um, so I would invite her. Wow. And I woefully ignorant. I have never heard of her before. I will be falling down some rabbit holes reading about her. I mean, that's incredible. And, you know, as you say, for it to be a woman, you know, I do have to, I'd love to just ask her, tell us, tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. Also, I'm so bad at dates. If someone, I'm I'm sure I got the date incorrect when she lived, uh, but I'm sure someone will correct me at that at some point. Anyway, very, very ancient. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, as well, like to have her in Atlantis and, you know, you've got history on history. Oh, okay. That's a really good choice. Okay. Who's next? Who's going to join her? Who's next? Um, 
I would say the Pearl Poet, who we usually say is the writer of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. I was the medievalist mm -hmm. in college. And I don't know why I'm very fascinated by, well, what was this person's name and what did they look like? Um, I I love medieval literature and I love Breton Lays and I love Sir Gowan and the Green Knights. So I just want to interview this person <laughs> so oh that's so intriguing and we don't know who's gonna show up right who's gonna arrive <laughs> oh that's so interesting I again medieval literature is not something I've read a great deal of know a great deal about was not aware there was a poet who's kind of this unknown figure and again I'm now like I need to know absolutely everything about this person <laughs> but we're gonna, we're gonna solve some mysteries that night right yes. Yeah, so much of this is just about like the, the unknown, you know, that, that's all. It's, yeah. In Atlantis, <laughs> of all places, uh, <laughs> this is so cool. I This is up there with one of my favorite evenings, I think. I'm going to be so bold <laughs> to say already. I'm like, oh, this is food for thought. Okay, <laughs> so we have our two first guests in some kind of underwater hall. Who's next? Who's next is Scheherazade from Thousand and One Arabian Nights. Oh my goodness, what a choice as well. Yeah, <laughs> the storyteller who saved her own life and for some reason still stayed with this murderous king. Why? <laughs> yeah, that is the question I think I would probably pose first and foremost. What are you doing, babe? What's going on there? You know, I mean, that's that's a thing. And I am deeply problematic as an individual. So if she showed me a photo and he looks like Oscar Isaac, I would just be like, you know, okay, fine. I'd stay too. <laughs> just... I am too. Um, I'm a fan of Oscar Isaac's work. I think uh, <laughs> his cinematography is beautiful. Uh, I was going to say, did he also, did the king also look like Henry Cavill? Is that what was going on here? <laughs> this little Pedro Pascal moment? Because if so, <laughs> we can forgive murder, right? There's, you know. <laughs> she's like I'm a little threatened but I'm also more than a little intrigued so. yeah. like you know what you've got some issues I think I can change you <laughs> let's do some storytelling this will be fun I mean she's the original storyteller in a lot of ways right this idea of being able to just fill the world with stories yeah I'm going to save your skin to marry a problematic king I mean what a woman what a woman who were you why did you do these things <laughs> yeah. and I think I can see the dynamics between your guests being very interesting you're gonna have a lot of stories a lot of conversation this feels like a night of talking right yes very much oh. okay do you have anyone else coming oh my my final pick would be the great Dorothy Parker um okay always made me laugh they're so so witty um you know, one time she was asked, I just, I love her playfulness with language and her observations. Uh, one time she was asked to use the word horticulture in a sentence and uh, her response was, you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. Um, it's just... <laughs> That's incredible. To say oh that God. on the spot is just like a, the sort of thing where you're like, how do you think like that? And how do you delight yourself? I think her tombstone actually reads pardon my dust and that's it. Oh my word. You threw a curveball there as well. Cause I was like, oh, this has gone kind of, you know, it's taken a complete turnabout. 
<laughs> but I think she'd hold her own right in this room. I think she'd be great. I think that they would all be bewildered. And at the very least, she would, if, if conversation ever got boring, she would engage all of us in a very fun drinking game. Um, so it'll be fine. Yes. And you know, that solves everything, I think, as well. Uh, for sure. And it, I do feel like I couldn't hold my own in this drinking competition whatsoever <laughs> between these people. I don't think we're made of the same stuff. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it would be out <laughs> so quickly. You're like medieval poets and you know, ancient writers that were probably like weaned on mead, right? And why? <laughs> this means like a small cider, like, hey guys. I mean, I love your guest list. This is so cool. And I love your reasons for having them. We're going to solve some mysteries for sure and find out some answers. But I have to ask, and I ask everyone this, is there anyone you don't want to come? It's a hard one. Anyone I don't want to be there. Hmm. Well, I, uh, oh gosh, you know, I, my answer on this always changes. I, mm, I think that there's a lot of good in these in these stories and I'm glad that they're out there but I just would prefer not to have like a self-help author there that's that's the only thing just Just for that that evening yeah that evening wonderful stuff that you do great that you're able to look within themselves it's not a anyway I I just feel like it would would make people too introspective you know and they would just be turning around thinking about how they're in the ruins of a place and whatever outlives you. It's not even art and it's not even civilization. And what am I doing here? Um, I should drink this horrible turmeric ginger tea. <laughs> I just get my life on track. So no self-help authors, although That's I do. really fair. I think <laughs> what they do is great. Brilliant work. But on a night where you're going to be drinking in the ruins of Atlantis with people long dead. No. You still no. need that, right? I don't want to be thinking about my mortality. I think about it all the time already. So. Yeah. yeah, big sames. I hit 30 and that's where I was like, ooh, I got that stuff now all the time, shouldn't I? But yeah. 30 was so rude. My metabolism, I should have thrown a funeral for it. It just left. It just fled the conversation. It was so disappointing. <laughs> where did you go? <laughs> I was so cocky after my first child. I was 26, so I was pretty youthful. And all the weight just like dropped off of me. And I was like, oh, I'm just one of those women who has kids and just loses all the weight. It's great. And then I have a son at 28. And just those two short years was enough to make me realize, no, that is not. I was just very lucky that one time. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll never be again. I actually have to exercise. I was like, I can just eat what I like and weight just falls off of me. And I'm like, oh, I just look at Ben and Jerry's and it's depressing. Like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) that is a great everybody (laughs) but honestly i love your novel evening um i love your reasons for having these people here i agree with you you're not inviting so i i would be very very happy i think this is a five star novel evening right Uh, i'm an expert so (laughs) i would give it five stars and before i let you go and enjoy the rest of your uh, your day are you reading anything at the moment Ooh, yes, I am. Actually, it's right in front of me. It is called Flying Snakes and Griffin Claws and Other Classical Myths, Historical Oddities and Scientific Curiosities by Adrienne Mayer. Um, She's one of my favorite nonfiction authors. She wrote a wonderful, wonderful book on the Amazons, which was very popular. 
She also did a biography on King Mithridates, who's known as the Poison King. Oh, I love ancient history and that sort of thing. So um, reading through that. And then I also have a proof that someone has sent to me. It's called Madalena in the Dark by Julia Fine. And it just is another gorgeous Gothic fiction. It's set in Venice and a music academy. So lots of delicious things on my book. Oh, right that now. sounds right up my street. You've added to my list with so <laughs> many books right now. I'm like, oh dear. I'm just like writing all these down. And I love that, you know, Gothic fiction is really having a resurgence at the it moment. Really is. Yeah. I'm not I, mad about it at all. We're all in a dark place. <laughs> yeah. But that means that there is room for a sexy Santa origin story. This must have both. <laughs> yeah, you got to read it all. Gothic fiction, the next man booker prize winner or the whatever the pulitzer and then have the hot santa claus romance just just allow snap that up that would be hilarious imagine if that's my dying legacy not the things that i poured my heart and soul into but but that that's and i'll be able to sit there and be like i interviewed her on a podcast once and she told me that idea and i was like do it you won't regret (laughs) it and now look now look what she's achieved yeah if that's your crowning glory but I tell you what if you can get Henry Cavill to be the role just think how worth it it will be it would be so lovely I would just I would be so ecstatic I would just god anyway dreams can come true I think that's what we've learned (laughs) and I think we're gonna end on that note so thank you so so much this has been an absolute pleasure Uh, thank you so much for having me I loved every minute of it